From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. So Tim, one thing that I'm not very good at is writing. <laughs> I've tried to launch a blog for probably the last three years or so, and every time I write an article, I rip it up and start again. But I have so much respect for authors. Anyone who's launched a book, I have the utmost respect because it takes real discipline and dedication, I feel. And what I'd be really interested to know is what research did you have to do for this book? Because it's not one of those books that you can just literally sit there and things come to your mind and you just share your experiences. It has to be backed by some form of scientific research. So I'd love to hear more about your research that you had to conduct. Yeah. So this book, Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership, really was a um, multi-year project. In other words, I didn't start writing it years ago, but I started thinking. I started noticing paradoxes, these contradictory but dual qualities that great leaders seem to have. Like, for instance, one of them is, I think uncommon leaders leverage both their vision, you got to have a vision, but also their blind spots. Don't we all have blind spots in our life? But I think the great leaders get both. They leverage both. Vision means I got a target to hit, but blind spots may be the quality I need so that I don't fall into the trap of doing it like everybody else. It may be the blind spots that gives me a fresh way to approach that vision. Haven't we all heard people say, if I had known then what I know now, I would have never started this thing, you know? But thank God we didn't have those walls up telling us we couldn't do it. It was our blind spots that became our best friend. So I started just listing, and this is how books start. I just started listing on my phone, just typing in ideas. This is a paradox. This is a contradiction. This is a, this is a, you know, whatever. And I started noticing patterns. And that's what I think starts. I think that's what begins a book. You start seeing patterns. And then I train my brain. I start seeing a table of contents coming to fruition. Once I start seeing that, I'll start folders for each of those chapters. So confidence and humility, visibility and invisibility. That's another paradox. Inherently collective and deeply personal. Anyway, there are eight paradoxes that I found. There may be 800 of them, but I found eight. And then I began to research and I started putting in those folders, quotes, stories, stats, you know, sub points. And when I get start, I start writing, Patty, I'll have way more content than I can ever use, like maybe five times more content than, but that's the place you want to be. And then one more thing I'll add, writing a book is like giving birth to a baby. Now I've never given birth to a baby, but I, you know, it's, there's labor pains, there's a gestation period. And when that baby is born, you go, look how beautiful. And people aren't honest enough to say, actually, it's quite wrinkled and ugly, you know? <laughs> so, so I think we need honest people to say, your baby's a little wrinkled right now. And you know, you know what I'm saying? Just get honest with me. Tell me I need to go back and edit this thing again. So I want to encourage you, Patty, stay with it. If it takes years, it's okay. Call it a gestation period. But boy, is the birth fun. To, to do this book and have John Maxwell say, Tim, that's the best leadership book I've read all year. That, that meant something to me. So anyway, I, I wish you the very best on that. I hope that you don't give up that dream of uh, putting one together. Oh, well, I, 
I'm just tempted to doodle and just draw pictures. I think that might be where I end up, but we'll see. I do have a question. So just there, Tim, you're kind of saying, well, you're encouraging Paddy to go after his dream of writing his book. Say if someone is really passionate to grow their leadership skills, they really want to get started with it. But you know, this, there was a lot in your book and it just seems like there are lots of things to think about. It's, it's a very multifaceted thing, leadership. So yeah. what would your advice be to them? to help them get started and not be overwhelmed by all of it? Mm, great, great question. To try to simplify my answer, Vera, to that question, I, I think of four ingredients that need to go into the recipe of building a leader, I think. This is just me, but they spell the word idea in English, so I-D-E-A. The first, the let, first letter I is instruction. I think that young leader, you, let's say, do read books, do attend conferences, do become a sponge, soak, 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 take it in. Um, I, I love it when I meet a young professional that says, I've read all nine of your habitude books because they're sticking in my head. These images are, and they, they help me remember. So instruction is number one, but I don't think just instruction is enough. If it were, everybody would be a great leader that read a great leadership book. I think we need the letter D and that's demonstration. We need to get next to a leader who is showing us, not just telling us, who's modeling the way. I watched leaders. I watched John Maxwell up front, up close, just modeling the way. So get, maybe call him a mentor if you wish, but follow somebody and just watch them do it. I remember the very first performance review I ever had at 23 years old with John Maxwell. I was right out of college and he sat down and told me seven things I was doing well. I wrote them all down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, you know. But then he said, now there's three things you need to work on. I said, I beg your pardon, you know. <laughs> but I never had anybody honest enough to say, you, you got to work on something. But see, that was what I needed. So, so I need to see a leader do it. And by the way, the reason I brought that instance up is I said, John, how do I do what you're asking me to do? You know what he said to me? Just watch me this week. Just watch me. And he did it. He did it in front of me. The letter E in idea, we need experience. So sooner or later, that young leader is going to have to get up and actually do it. Scared, frightened, hesitant, ignorant a bit. But isn't that how we learn best? We just got to try it out. And that's when all the theories become real. And then the last letter, the letter A, assessment. Have we, have we not heard all of our lives experience is the best teacher? But I actually don't believe that because I've seen people have a bad experience and draw the wrong conclusion. I think experience plus assessment is a great teacher. So when I sat down with John Maxwell and he said, here's three things you need to work on. I'm assessing your leader. That was golden to me. It's easy to have. I mean, my mother told me I was awesome. You know, I believe her, you know, but I needed somebody to say, there's a few things that's going to make you better. So instruction, demonstration, experience and assessment would be what I would tell any emerging leader. They're going to have to get that, mix it into the recipe. And I think they're going to have a wonderful dessert <laughs> at the end of that journey. When I watch your TED talk, I have to say it, I'm, I'm not just saying this because you're kind of opposite me right now, but it has to be one of the best TED talks I've seen in terms of the structure and the ingredients you put into that talk. If I dissect it a little bit, 
for me had storytelling, empathy. I was connected to the talk. It had the science behind it. And just your very charismatic, but very gentle demeanor for me, I just warmed to the talk. So but for lots of people out there that are either doing talks or presentations, you know, even as leaders, yeah, it, it's quite a scary process. What advice would you have for someone like me or Vera, who's perhaps going to do a talk in front of our peers? What makes a really good talk? What are those ingredients? All right. So I'm going to share a couple of our habitude images to answer your question. The first one is one that I call windows and mirrors, windows and mirrors. So way back in 2005, Steve Jobs, when he was still with us, was asked, asked to do the commencement speech at Stanford University. So this very elite higher ed institution. He stepped up to the podium and I can only imagine people were expecting he was going to do this amazing prediction for technology or reveal an Apple product that was coming out or something. I think he surprised everybody. I, Steve Jobs stood at that podium for less than 15 minutes. And during that period of time, he told three personal stories, actually three personal struggles and the lessons he learned from each. Number one, he talked about how he had never finished college. There he was at Stanford University. Number two, he talked about how he had gotten fired from the very company he had started, Apple. And number three, he talked about how he had cancer and was going to die probably soon. When he finished that talk, he walked to the left. People stood to their feet and gave him a standing ovation for a long time. And I think I know why. Whether he knew it or not, he was practicing windows and mirrors. Here's the principle. When a communicator up front kind of pulls back the curtain on their own life and allows you to see a window to their own soul, they actually provide a mirror for people to see their own. Give them a window you actually provide them a mirror. Now, most of us think, oh, I don't want to share my dirty laundry. I don't want to share failures. I don't want to share my struggles. They'll lose respect. Oh, no, 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 no. They actually, don't we give more respect when people are honest and vulnerable? So uh, my tip number one, I would say, don't be afraid communicators to insert a personal story, a personal struggle. I mean, don't talk about yourself for 30 minutes, but inserted a couple of times, I usually try to tell um, a personal story, maybe how I failed at practicing the principle, maybe how I succeeded, but I want the audience to know I'm, I'm struggling with this just like you are. I think that draws people. I think another tip, Patty, that I would share though, for a beginner communicator, it's one of our images that I love. I have to smile when I say it. It's called find your mom, find your mom. So here's the principle. Have you ever noticed when you step up to speak, probably even when you're not new, even after you've been doing it for years, you're nervous. We're just, it's one of our biggest fears. This is public speak. You know what I've noticed? Someone is out there in that audience that wants me to win. They're just smiling and they're, for some reason, they just want me to win. I call that person my mom. <laughs> and I'm going to look at that person the first five, 10 minutes of this talk because they want, I'm not going to look at the other people who are folded arms and scowling at me and hoping that I fail, or at least it looks like they hope I fail. I want to find that person that's going, I'm cheering you on, boy, you know? So it's funny. I actually base this off of the actual story. My mother, it, when I was lived in California and just started my career, 
was actually in the audience. Most of the time when I spoke, she was the perfect mom. She adored me and I adored her. But there she was in the front row and I had a disadvantage. Here's this person saying, isn't he great? <laughs> you know? And I'm just thinking, don't we as communicators need someone who's just willing to say, isn't she great? Isn't he great? Mm-hmm. And I just think there's somebody, there's somebody out there that we need to find in our audience. So if you're new at this, at listening, find your mom in that audience and talk to them, at least at first, as you get started. And I think you'll get your sea legs and, and it's going to work out just fine. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that, Tim. I know that's quite an emotional topic. Yeah. It's just from hearing you there, that must have been really tough to even share that with us. And you're right. I think, you know, having that friendly face. Yeah having someone familiar in the audience, it, oh, that just boosts that confidence, doesn't it? We're running out of time. One last question from me, and uh, then I'll, I'll hand over to Vera if she has any more for you, but very quickly from me, Tim, what makes this book so amazing? You mentioned you've had accolades from others saying it's the best book that they've ever read or they've read that year. What is it about the book that you would say makes it a brilliant book for people to look at? Well, you're very kind to say say that. I would say this. I tried to write a book that I needed. So I mentioned earlier in the podcast, these are social and emotional skills. And I believe they're ones that are available to anybody. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to raise your IQ. You don't have to add to your talents. But these are skill sets, you know, to be visible and invisible. There are steps to take. To be humble and confident, there are steps to take. So I try to write a book that's doable for everybody, that's that's learnable. And, you know, you, you can say, okay, I get that. I, Vera, I hope when you read the chapter, you go, I can do that. So that, would, that was it. But I also felt like I was writing a book that was needed now. And I think in the midst of this very scary last two years where people are anxious and uncertain, the times are volatile and complex, I wanted to be an encourager to say, can I write a little resource for you that's just going to be like a mentor in your lap to give you some skill sets that I think you can actually build and it will make you different than other leaders who are just barking out the orders and telling people what to do and actually quite scared themselves (laughs) if they were honest. So that's what I hope it did. I hope it accomplishes that. And yeah, I'd love for anybody that thinks they might need that to, to grab a copy. That would be great. Oh, thank you. It's very clear, Tim, that You've found your purpose. You're in this because you believe in it and it's important. And you want to set up the the leaders of tomorrow as best as you can. Um, And thank you so much, by the way, for investing your time and efforts into that. It's making a difference. It's making a difference to me. So what are your hopes for the leaders of the future? What would you want to, in part, help them get towards? Great question. I think what I would hope for the leaders of tomorrow, and this is just me, I know you realize that, but this is just me. Other people may see it differently. I would hope that they would be values-based leaders who want to lead not because of power, but because they can serve. Again, that may sound cliche, but if I develop my values first, I have a compass on the inside, a moral compass, dare I say, then when I get some influence, I'm going to be ready for that influence. 
So I feel like when I look around my country, there are certainly good leaders, but there's so many people that should not be leading right now. No names, but there are some people that shouldn't be in power positions. But I feel like if tomorrow's leaders could really develop that compass on the inside, and then when they're given a position to influence, we know they have our best interests in mind. They actually care about the people they're leading. And I can follow and trust because I don't have to look out for me. They're looking out for me. Oh my gosh, can you imagine the world we'd have? So, and that's what we're trying to build. Yeah, so, and I appreciate that chance to have a conversation with both of you and get to share that. Thank you, Tim. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to meet you and have this conversation with you and with Paddy. Oh, thank you, Vera. And, and Tim, yeah, I'd just like to echo that because I think this episode has been really moving for me personally, just in terms of some of the really impactful messages that you've shared with us, but just, just even to get to talk to you, Tim, I think it's not often you build a certain connection with a guest that's more than just questions and answers. So mm-hmm. really do appreciate uh, everything that you've shared with us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's been great to be with you. We are right now merging at Growing Leaders with the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation, which is quite fun because John was a mentor 20 years ago. I know they would uh, appreciate it if you don't mind. If you wanted to contact me for an event or something, uh, you would simply go to maxwell.com slash Tim. Maxwell.com slash Tim. And that would be, uh, there are resources there and, and speaking events. And Patty, let me just say to you, thank you for what you're doing. I love what you're building. Love the way you're doing it. We share so many things in common. So keep up the great work yourself. Oh, thank you, Tim. We'll uh, we'll share the link in the show notes for, for this episode. So if anyone missed that, just feel free to go to the link. And yeah, I do encourage everyone to do that. I certainly will be checking out the website as well. So thank you. Once again.